this is Monster Manual Mash. This is the podcast where we get into every entry in the 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons Monster Manual. We go entry by entry, page by page, line by line. We are digging into what these monsters are doing here. What are their origins in folklore or their origins in the minds of the people that made them up and drew little uh, grade two (laughs) level drawings in the margins of their character sheets? What are the hooks that Wizards of the Coast wants you to feel when you read these things? What are these monsters doing psychologically? What's their niche? What's the idea? What is going on? Um, What is going on? I'm Chris. And I'm Wes. That's Wes. Yeah. We're going to uh, look at today Fomorians. The Fomorian. What we know about the Fomorian, they are the most hideous and wicked of all giant kind. They are godless, and they have deformed bodies that reflect their vile demeanor. In detail, we learn that they have randomly distributed uh, facial features and that they have differently sized limbs. The word misshapen is used like three or four times in the first like two paragraphs. And they often don't get sympathy because they brought their doom upon themselves. I had a little like alarm bell. I'm not, I'm not the most sensitive person in the world, but it is kind of noteworthy that they're, it's hard to get away with a deformed body reflecting a vile interior. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. You know, like it's a longstanding tradition. Um, this might be something I know wizards of the coast were, I don't, I don't know the details, but they were, there was some talk of them re-releasing a lot of material with new sensitivity editing. Yeah. Stuff to do with like the, the Vistani, is that who they were in Curse of Strahd? Yeah. 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 And I think orcs were, were up for revision and stuff like this might be too, but I don't know. I don't know where the, the cutoff point is because it's so monstrosity is like so intertwined with like these ideas of appearance reflecting interior yeah totally yeah and like i feel like there's sort of two almost things going on here right because like on one hand you have like like you mentioned just like the naked concept of like deformity equaling equaling like evil like or like any kind of deviation from a norm like having like morally evil qualities to it you know um there's like that going on but then on the other hand you do have like monsters and like strangeness being you know like one on one and one and also we'll get into it but the Fomorians valued like aesthetic beauty right and so this was like a curse that was played on them kind of because of that value but like there's still the other like you know like the other implications of it yeah it is it is a rich thing um so the first paragraph first bolded line is fey curse the elves remember when fomorians were among the most handsome and brilliant but they lusted for magic and power they tried to conquer the fey wild and enslave its inhabitants but the people of the fey wild or whatever they are fought back and the fomorians were subjected to a terrible curse 
Their giant bodies were warped to reflect the evil in their hearts, and they've plotted vengeance ever since. Um, kind of interesting that it leaves the details of the curse kind of loose. Like, who gave it to mm -hmm. them? What was the definition of the curse? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Because hmm. I think if you had the actual definition, or if it was clearly stated that, like, the uh, Fomorian's evil nature would be like directly translated into some sort of physical deformity. You could have things about like if they are lusting with their eyes, then their eyes get really gross or something. Right, or if yeah. If they are gluttonous, then their their the head is full of teeth, or teeth come out of them or something. Just extra mouths all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just more work. You could just make them all kind of gross and fucked up, but. You probably don't need, you don't need it to get into the detail, but it, you know, if you wanted to uh, spend more time than like one session or whatever on, on these guys, you might want to come up with something. Yeah. And it kind of like built into them. There's like this whole idea that there's, they're all a little bit different, right? Like there's, there's yeah. a lot of variety in their, uh, their weirdnesses. They have, they are giants of the underdark. They live in eerily beautiful caverns in the Underdark, where they have access to water, fish, mushroom forests, and slaves who they will kill and devour if they can't work. Wickedness and depravity are the cornerstones of Fomorian society. Their territories are marked with corpses, they paint cavern walls in blood, and they stitch body parts to make mockeries of the creatures they've killed. I like the uh, the discrepancy. I like the com the the contrast of like a mushroom forest. They it says that they want access to water. Water is something you might associate with um, like beauty and reflection. Fish, I don't know. There's like a golem thing going on. <laughs> uh, mushroom forest, this kind of like eerie beauty, and then they also are like Texas Chainsaw Massacre activities inside. Yeah, totally. Like, uh, you know, like I'm imagining, uh, like a lot, of, like a very like bioluminescent underground kind of like place. Uh, <clears throat> you know, and it, like like all the like and how you know beautiful that would be. But then there's this road that was like lined with like Frankenstein's monster Roman crucifixes all along the way. You know, very yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, like a big display. Yeah, they're into displays. I think it's interesting that they mention water and fish. Yeah, totally. These are unlike, like, there's almost every intelligent race that lives in the, in the Underdark are depraved, use slaves, are wicked and treacherous. But I yeah. don't think any of them mention that they like fish or that they like water. Yeah, totally. Kind of makes them relatable. Yeah. Yeah, I like to hang around water, you know? Can't blame them. Oh, you know what? I think this is related to, uh, Fomorian in myth, actually, but we'll get into yeah. it now that I think okay. about it. Cool, cool. But yeah, so those those are good. You have, I kind of wish they'd get into their like what the what a, a Fomorian territory would look like a little bit more. Yeah, because I think that's important for the the whole aesthetic to kind of go off. Yeah, and I feel like like narrating the lead up to to like finding like finding where they all are in the Underdark like that that you know that's a cool like moment you know yeah for sure and it's um i think those are the kinds of things that like a lot of dms would want help with the most 
is like, okay, you've given me this creature and you've given me its broad points, but like, how do you kind of, how do you seduce players into like buying into what you're, what you're putting out there? So like, how do you build the dread? How do you like kind of foreshadow things? How do you paint the picture? And like, yeah, coming across this like ancient underdark road, but it's covered in like fresh, uh, macabre displays of corpses and stuff. Yeah, totally. But it's in a beautiful area and you can have like nice descriptions of, I mean, players will often just like laugh at descriptions, but you can still do it. And if you do it well, then they might get into it. Yeah, yeah. totally. Tell me how to uh, describe a mushroom forest beautifully. Give me, give me help. I like just mushrooms. I think yeah. they're cool, but like, just give me, give me some cool things to say. You know? A little bit. Yeah. You're the professional writer. Come on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. There's the, the broad points are there, so it's up to you to do it. But yeah, I think it's uh, overlooked a little bit. The next paragraph is ruined flesh, evil minds. Their deformities prevent them from hurling rocks or wearing anything more complex than scraps of cloth. So they can't hurl rocks specifically. Okay. Which is a weird thing to say, except that this is a holdover from uh, previous editions. And when Fomorians were just simply like underground dwelling giants and did the same things giants did, except they didn't, their deformities, because they have to be different from um, surface level giants, prevent them from hurling rocks uniformly, which is like a a trademark uh, special (laughs) giant move. It's no one else. No one else can do it. It's just giants. They got to They really cornered the market on throwing rocks. Yeah, it's really funny that that's an innate giant trait too. Is like the throwing of rocks specifically. Yeah, I mean, it goes again. I think it's something that goes back to previous editions where it sounds really mundane and kind of silly, but these were the things that separated one creature from another. Or like, how did you know it's a ghoul? It could be any other in- undead. A ghoul yeah. paralyzes you. That's yeah, how you know. Yeah. And like, how do you know that this this giant is a giant and not a cyclops? Like, is it throwing a rock at you? Then it's a giant. Look, you need depth perception to throw rocks. Cyclops <laughs> are going to do that. Yeah, we've gone over this. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, although halflings have like innate skill at throwing pebbles accurately. So there's some precedent in like D&D worlds for like rock throwing being, uh, you know, an, like an innate thing. Yeah. I wonder yeah. if there's an argument you can make that halflings are just like really tiny giants. On the scale of giants, they're the smallest. Yeah. They just weigh onto the far end. They're this yeah. yeah. Um they also have Fomorians also have enhanced perception because of their strange uh configurations of their like nose and ears and stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is weird because I'm pretty sure that like evolution kind of got it, right? Yeah. Yeah, like if you're hunting, put them both in front. If you're getting hunted, put them both on the side. Um, if you're a lizard, have an invisible one on the top of your head. You know. What? Yeah, lizards. They, um, <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> this, is the, this is the only part of our podcast that'll ever like cross over in content with, with Joe Rogan. This is the only time it'll happen. But lizards I'll have never a... say never. Yeah, lizards, uh, their pineal gland, which we also have. Yeah. Um, and I think ours... Uh, it's still, even though it's behind your skull, it's still got like the remnants of a lens and a retina in it because it really is a, an eye in the middle of your forehead. No. And in lizards, it's still got attached to a scale that's photosensitive so that they can tell if they're in the shade or not. And they can tell if there's like 
uh, the shadows of like birds above them because you know birds eat lizards, but they uh, so they use their literal third eye to to look at the sun for survival reasons, and we got Wes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you for real? That's I in uh. I'm pretty sure that's all real. Or did you come up with this while you were in Joe Rogan's isolation tank doing frog venom off of? his assistant's naked body. I don't think I'd be invited. I'd probably t- turn down the invitation too. I'm pretty sure. You turn it down, I would show up. Mm, yeah, maybe. I don't know, man. It'd be a trip. That would be a trip. It would be a trip. You know what? Yeah. I don't know what, he would, don't know what we would talk about. <laughs> I'll take the frog venom part. Like the frog venom. All I- <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm assuming Joe Rogan talked about that. It just seems like the kind of thing you'd talk about. Right? Absolutely. It's yeah. gotta be. Yeah. And the more I think about it, it's like, is that a true thing that I read or is that a sample used in a tool song somewhere? I can't remember, you know? <laughs> Where were we talking about this? Oh, yeah. What, normal ways of having eyes. That's what brought us, yes. brought us here. Yeah. Oh, thank yeah. God you remembered. Well, that's one of them. Um, so, uh, yeah, I do like the idea that, like, probabilistically some of them have, like, an eye literally on the back of their head sometimes. And, like, that yeah. as, a, as a species gives them, like, better situational awareness. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's, that's easy. Just more eyes is definitely yeah um, believable. But I imagine, I have a hard time imagining what that would feel like or look like. Like, I, would you have a hard time processing what having like three or four eyes? I guess not. Like, insects have, yeah, however many eyes, multifaceted it's like, eyes. It's really hard to imagine. Like, what would it be like if we had like a row of eyes all around and like from your head you could see in 360, you know? Because we can only yeah. really see the one way. So I don't know, man. I don't know what it'd be like. Yeah, I think I'd buy it. I think we've yeah. got ears locked down, though. Like, I think having two ears on either side of the head with, like, the cartilage of the ear kind of poking out so that it, ca- it can capture some incoming sound and kind of yeah. funnel it into your head. I think, I think we've yeah. got that, like, locked down. Unless you're going to tell me there's a secret uh, hidden ear just under the skin of, like, the <laughs> chest or something. You don't you know feel, about the third you ear, man? Bass. You can feel yeah. bass really good. <laughs> Oh, that'd be cool. I want a third ear. Third ear. Yeah, I don't care about a third eye. I want a third ear. I want to. <laughs> um, now, the only like better ear I could think of is like the thing snakes do where they feel vibrations on the ground, you know? Right. And that's just more of a like a tactile thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. See, Fomorians, they got ears on the bottom of their feet, right? And so yeah. that way they. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That, that's fine. That'll buy. I like that. Ears on the bottom of the feet. Writing that down. Next part of this uh, ruined flesh, evil minds paragraph is greed and evil are at the heart of their degeneration and fall. They make alliances of convenience, but they will break them on a whim. So again, like I said, they're kind of just like all the other, uh, like Drow do this. The uh, what are they called? The Dwergar do this. Alliances in the Underdark like never last. And the final paragraph is Curse of the Evil Eye. This is where things definitely diverge from standard giant and or fey origins. 
use the curse of the evil eye, they can pass their curse onto others by using a power called the evil eye, a vestige of their once remarkable spellcasting ability. Those affected are magically twisted and deformed, gaining a glimpse into the pain and malice that has consumed this evil race. So this translates um, into an action they can perform where the evil eye attack, it does psychic damage, does a whole bunch, and the save against it is charisma, which is unusual. It's usually a dump stat, so there's a good chance that this will work. And then I think once a day or once per encounter or something, you can also use this evil eye to give the curse of the eye. So not only will it do this damage, but on a failed save, the affected character is deformed, which in game terms means that it has disadvantage and is a, has half movement for at least an hour and they can do another save after an hour. Other than that, these, these guys are just big giants with a like bucket of hit points and they do two attacks and they swing a club for a whole bunch of damage. And then they have these evil eye things. They got that instead of throwing rocks. Yeah, which I think is a good deal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I take the evil eye over I take the evil rocks. eye. Yeah. yeah. So it seems like these are good um monsters to like uh they've stolen something to I think to like to get into their zone, delving into their lair and avoiding them while while trying to get around or something because they're yeah. they are they're difficult creatures to fight and it's the thing about giants it's always about like setting up a situation where you outsmart them or like you're you're not going to win a straight up fight usually so you have to like sneak around them yeah this this would be good like um you got captured and like the 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 mission isn't to like uh like fight them or go in there and grab something it's like how how do you you got to break out of jail you got to sneak out of there like that's a good like stealth mission is getting out of a formorian you know like you got captured by him there's got to be something you can do maybe well let's get into like the the origins and etymology and stuff that might get better ideas because those the more i was thinking about it and what you were saying too like that's you can all do these with like normal giants oh yeah you know, but there's yeah. like, what can we do with the their their backstory and all that? But let's let's connect yeah. them with what what their source is. So the etymology of the name is uh, is debated. There's a lot of uncertainty when we're looking at Old Irish, which is what the Fomorians are from. A lot of uncertainty about the how history connects with myth, and there are all sorts of different versions of myth, and. Uh, this goes down to the etymology itself. But what we do know is that fo, the first part of it, it means something like below or beneath or nether. And the second part is more unclear. Uh, there's an idea that it comes from Old Irish mer, which is sea. So it would be like the undersea ones, the undersea people or whatever. Um, another suggestion is uh, Old Irish more. And then the more, the more I pronounce old Irish things, the less uh, accurate I probably am. I know I say this probably every time, but uh, just putting it out there, in case this is your first time, I am I am hopeless. So uh, listen at your own peril. So more means great or big. So it would be like the great underworld ones or the great under ones, or the nether giants. A third suggestion, which is a little more popular is that there's a hypothetical old Irish term, which means that there's no consensus on if this is like 
even based on fact, but there's some evidence that um, it's the term for a demon or phantom found in the Morrigan, and it's uh, cognate with an archaic English word mare, which survives in nightmare. So then the name would be something like underworld demons or phantoms. Yeah, the underground nightmare people. Yeah, exactly. Kind of get into this, they're, they're sort of like, they're the powers of chaos, they're, they're latent and hostile to cosmic order. So Fomorians, they're a supernatural race in Irish mythology. They are often portrayed as hostile and monstrous. They were originally said to come from either under the sea or under the earth, and then later on they were portrayed as sea raiders and giants um, coming from across the ocean from somewhere else. They are mythically the enemies of Ireland's first settlers and opponents of the Tuatha Dé Danann, who are the supernatural race in Irish mythology. So it's kind of like um, the Olympians and the Titans. Yeah, yeah. And the uh, Aesir and the v- the Vanir as well. Like there's uh, there's sort of like the the more primordial, chaotic, dark and evil origins of things and then the olympians come in who kind of represent like order and uh, civilization and higher minded thinking and they take the older gods down but it gets mixed up in 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 irish mythology because there's this book of like the invasions of ireland where it is a sort of mythical historical record of I think six or seven different peoples coming to Ireland and invading and uh, like there's a pattern of like invading and then wiping out the previous group and then succumbing to plague and then another one comes and it keeps happening. But in, in in this history, the Fomorians are already there. The first people come and fight them. And then they win, but then they die of plague. And then another group comes, and the Fomorians are there again. And that happens like two or three times. So the Fomorians seem to have been regarded as malevolent spirits. In one of the earliest references in the seventh century, they're said to dwell under the worlds of men. Um, their later portrayal as sea raiders was probably influenced by the Viking raids on Ireland that were taking place around that time. They were also often portrayed as monstrous. Um, there's a good image of them too. If you look up Fomorians, there's like, they're a pretty like motley crew of uh, um, like individually grotesque people. Yeah. I'm looking at them right now. That's good. I love yeah. the idea of like, almost that like they're, they're living and hiding underground and then they come out after a civilization collapses from plague, you know? Yeah. And like, uh, they're they're there the whole time, but then when like a new civilization or like you know when somebody else comes to invade, colonize the island, settle there, whatever you want, you know, and then it's uh, but every time this like historical cycle, it's sort of like a like an inverse sort of like peak and trough of like these empires of like people, and then Fomorians like you know coming out when all the people uh, hit a bottleneck, you know. Yeah, they kind of represent um, the inherent decay of things. And like the the powers of of entropy, you know. And there's 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 a part of this that kind of reminds me of, um, uh, like the mutants in Futurama who live in the sewers, or like there's a, this is very like like common, warlocks. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like the the sort of post-apocalyptic sci-fi trope of like the underground mutant people. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I didn't thought I didn't think of that, but that's very true. Because often in those, like if you if you look at the Morlocks or you look at um the Futurama people, there's there's definitely gotta be like earlier versions, but those are the ones sticking to mind now. Like if you look at those, they are all highly individualized as well. Yeah, totally. Yeah. They're all mutants in their own unique way. And they're all grotesque, usually. And they, the Fomorians in Irish mythology, they also have relationships with the, uh, the Tuatha who are the, their counterparts. So there's like, the Tuatha are sort of like the, uh, like the Olympians. They're the good guys. They're the sort of like mythical Christianized gods or gods that will become Christianized later, um, who are in opposition to the Fomorians, but they, they interbreed as well. Because they've the Fomorians have like made war on the people of Ireland so often, and then exist afterwards, either winning or losing, and then like it always happens, they mix the their blood. So now then you have like Irish leaders who are part Fomorian who are also fighting the Fomorians, and then yeah, and then later on they become pirates and seaborne raiders, and then it just became so it looks to me like. I'm no I'm no expert but the Fomorians starting off as these like underworld gods and then getting mixed up in uh the history of the recolonization or, or reinhabitation of of Ireland it starts just becoming like anyone who's already there who you don't like is a Fomorian yeah. now yeah and then it just becomes pirates and seaborne raiders so then it's just like anyone you are allowed to hate. You just call someone a Fomorian so that you can feel fine about wiping them out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of that vibe too. a really good story of uh i always mess this up kukulain emily is that right kukulain yeah kukulain who's sort of like the irish kukulain kukulain i thought this was english god damn it kukulain is a irish hero he's probably like the irish hero he's the what yeah he's irish hercules he's irish, he's irish achilles he's the irish brad pitt and there's a really good story that I'll relate here about, about Fomorians. Cuchulain went and looked forth on the great sea. As he was there, he beheld a great assembly on the, on the strand nearest to him, to wit, a hundred men and a hundred women seated in the bosom of the haven and the shore, and among them a maiden shapely, dear and beautiful, the most distinguished damsel of the world's women. 
and they a-weeping and lamenting around the damsel. Cucullin came to the place and saluted them. What is this sorrow or the misery upon you, says Cucullin? The damsel answered, and this she said, A royal tribute which the tribe of Fomorians carry out of this country every seventh year, namely, the firstborn of the king's children. And at this time it has come to me to go as that tribute. For to the king I am the dearest of his children. What number comes to lift that tribute? asks Cucullin. Three sons of Elantrum of the Fomorians, she answers, and Dub, Mel, and Dubrose are their names. Not long had they been at those talks when they saw the well-manned, full-great vessel approaching them over the furious waves of the sea, and when the damsel's people saw the ship coming, they all fled from her, and not a single person remained in her company save only Cucullain. And thus was that vessel, a single warrior, dark, gloomy, devilish, on the stern of that good ship, and he was laughing roughly, ill-fatedly, so that everyone saw his entrails and his bowels through the body of his gullet. What is that mirthfulness on the big man? asks Cucullain. Because, says the damsel, he deems it excellent that thou shouldst be an addition to this tribute in this year rather than any other year. By my conscience, says Cucullain, it would not be right for him to brag thus regarding me if he knew what would come of it. Then the big man came ashore to them into the strand, and stretched forth his long, sinewy, hideous arm to seize Cuculain in the very front of his royal tribute. Straightway Cuculain raised his right hand and bared his sword, and gave a blow to that big man and struck off his head, so that he was the first that fell by Cuculain after having completed his training. And thereafter the other two fell by him, and he left them thus, neck to neck. So this doesn't really speak to the uh, danger of Fomorians, but it's a cool story. It is a cool story. I mean, I, 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 I love the, the image of like this guy and like you can see his guts and he's like, yeah, thank you. You're going to be part of the tribute too, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah he's, like, he's like brandishing his intestines. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, unbeknownst to him that he was talking to you know a 20th level fighter right yeah exactly that's exactly what happened and this is based on um in one of the invasions of ireland um the people came they fought the fomorians and won but then they succumbed to plague and then the fomorians took them over and enslaved them sorry not enslaved them but uh demanded um like two-thirds of their children and their crops and this went on for a while until they uh they overthrew the fomorians so there's like a uh they're still smarting from that i think i have also a list of notable fomorians because there is um some arguments in in the mythical rendering of things to trace their lineage back to noah back to noah Interesting. yeah which is a whole that's a whole uh like wing of research i decided not yeah. to go down but Whoa. yeah there's a lot of named named ones and i skipped a bunch of them but i i tried to pick ones that had a kind of immediately gameable or um immediately relevant biographies going on here that might shed some light on the uh, D monster so first we have uh Kikol or kichol it's usually not pronounced exactly how it's spelled in these old Irish things. So I'm going to say Kiko, 
is the earliest mentioned leader of the Fomorians. His, uh, his epithet is obscure. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it, but it might be translated as clapper leg or <laughs> withered feet or of withered feet. So that's his last name is like Griancos or Grianchos or Gregan Chosak. So he might yeah. be uh, Chikol of withered feet. He's got too many years on his feet. Can't, can't walk on it normal. He's got a half movement on there. Yeah. Which is contrasted to the Fomorian we had uh, standing on the prow of the ship, who's uh, dark, gloomy, devilish, laughing roughly. So then we kind of see where the idea for like Fomorians being originally beautiful. And some of these are actually explicitly like golden haired and, and uh, supernaturally beautiful. Yeah. But they're also, they also have names like Clapperleg. <laughs> I'm looking at um, one of these like motley crews of Fomorian images you mentioned before. Uh, yeah, I I like that one of them is a just a fish, a fish man. Yeah, <laughs> that's real good. Standing yeah, right in front of uh, anything goes. Karl Marx. It looks like. Yeah, another vile monster. <laughs> so then there's a uh, Conad Macfabir imposed a heavy tax on the clan of Namid. Yeah, this is what I was talking about. This is the guy. So he demands two-thirds of their wheat, their milk, and their offspring, which were due every Samhain at the plain called Mag Sentine. The oppressed attacked from the sea with a host of 30,000 headed by three champions, grandsons and great-grandsons of Nemed, who was the original uh, leader of the people that came to Ireland in this wave. And they overcame Canand and his host of 30,000 at a place called Canaan's Tower, later called Torinus Setne. And then uh, Mork Magdalad, who is Canaan's brother, later arrived with a fleet of 60 ships to retake the tower from the people of Nemed, and a mutual annihilation ensued, forcing the, the Nemedian folk into diaspora out of Ireland. So yeah, this, is, this was like the second or third of the invasions of Ireland. So like it keeps happening one way or another. People just arrive in Ireland, they fight for Morians and then are annihilated one way or another. Then we have one of the few female Fomorians, one of the ladies who is of course most notable for being the daughter of a more important Fomorian. Uh, this person's name is Ethnew. Uh, Baylor, in an attempt to avoid a druid's prophecy that he will be killed by his own grandson, imprisons Ethnew, who is his daughter, in a tower on Tory Island, away from all contact with men. But a guy whose first name is Mac, <laughs> the magical cow, Baylor steals. Uh, using that, he gains access to Ethnew's tower with the magical help of, I think, a druid and seduces her. Ethnew gives birth to triplets, but Baylor gathers them up in a sheet and sends a messenger to drown them in a whirlpool. The messenger drowns two of the babies, but unwittingly drops one in the harbor where he is rescued by someone named Birog. She takes the child back to his father, who gives him to his brother, Gavita the smith, in Fostridge, the boy grows up to kill Baylor, and that boy is, I think, named Lug or Lug, and is a he's one of the uh, like the the good gods. He's one of the Olympian style gods who is um, he's kind of like a good guy Zeus. I don't think he has any of the uh, weird 
um, like pretending to be a swan to have sex with women things. He wasn't running around his like wife's back all the time. Yeah, that was most of what Zeus was up to. Yeah, but he was also, yeah. he also, you know, he had like more kind of, uh, I imagine he had more important things he should be doing. Lug is, is someone who actually takes his job seriously. Yeah, yeah. And Lug, uh, Lug either gave, not birth, Lug either fathered Kukulain or Kukulain is another incarnation of Lug, who is Baylor's uh, grandson. And before we get into Baylor, who is the, like, the most important for Morin, especially for our purposes, I'm gonna, there's one more named uh, Tethra. And all that can be said about Tethra is that um, his name might be derived from a proto Indo European language meaning quacking sound. <laughs> Tethra could also um, mean like the sea or a uh, scald crow or Ro- Roinston's crow which is a type of crow. So there you get quacking sound. That makes more sense. Why a Fomorian would be named quacking sound? I don't know. Could have a beak instead of a mouth. So now we get to Baylor. And Baylor, um, besides what I told you, which is a great uh, fairy tale story, it should be noted that the weapon used against Baylor was a red-hot heated iron rod stabbed into his, his eyes. Now we get into Baylor's eye. There's a reason he stabbed it. Uh, Baylor himself may have had one, two, or three eyes, one of which is poisonous, incendiary, or otherwise malignant. Depending on whatever story uh, you get it from, you may have had two eyes in front, or one each in front and back, and an extra eye in the middle of his forehead. But in almost every story, Lug puts uh, the... The, whatever is the most dangerous eye, whatever has the magic power, he always stabs it with something. In one version of the tale, he has one eye in the middle of his forehead and the deadly eye in the back of his head, and it is venomous and issues some sort of petrifying beam with powers like a basilisk. There could be cross-pollination with the, uh, the, the story of the Cyclops, especially being on uh, Tory Island. The Cyclops was on a specific island. In, in one of the stories, Baylor covers the eye in the middle of his forehead with nine leather shields, but Lug sends a red spear through all of the lairs. Another version says that Bale was one-eyed, but he always covered it. He had a single eye in his forehead, a venomous, fiery eye. There's always seven coverings over his eye. One by one, uh, Baylor removed the coverings. With the first covering, the bracken began to wither. With the second, the grass became copper-colored. With the third, the woods and timber began to heat. With the fourth, smoke came from the trees. With the fifth, everything grew red. With the sixth, it sparked. With the seventh, they were all set on fire, and the whole countryside was ablaze. See, right away, that has the makings for a really sick encounter with like a Fomorian leader uh like a like a like a king or some powerful one uh and they have their eyes covered with seven coverings and each round they remove one and like another crazy thing happens like following that pattern yeah yeah that works really well on on several levers or sorry several levels because that could be like you just said like an encounter thing where each time a cover is removed something horrible happens and maybe you have to get through all of the coverings in order to get at the eye underneath yeah. 
So then you have to risk um, suffering another layer. Or it could also be like a longer term campaign thing where, because these these sound like apocalyptic. Yeah, totally, totally. Like these are like the seven seals, you know? Yeah. Where, th- where things, not just in the, the room you're in or things in the combat, it's like things like glo- like cosmically, global globally are happening every time one of these coverings comes off. Yeah. And then you could get into a more detailed uh, like Fomorian drama where you would have uh, maybe some of the people from the Feywild that were originally against them um, trying to, in, like, I guess it would actually be the, the Fomorians reinvading the Feywild if you're going to go and, like, kind of copy the uh, Irish invasion idea. It's like the Fomorians are, are under the surface, they're underground, and then they spring up to try and take civilization back down. Mm-hmm. They're like the twisted mirror of of civilization. Uh, something about after he was slain, Baylor's severed head was set in the fork of an oak, and the tree which absorbed the venom became the timberwood that was made into a shield for another Irish hero. So that's pretty cool. That's really fucking cool. Yeah, head venom making a shield. I yeah, totally. I was gonna say the idea of venomous eyes is uh oh, venomous eyes is good too yeah, yeah that's real good yeah um but yeah the the shield like a shield made of the wood from a tree that the severed head uh, that's yeah that's cool that's good that's good stuff and then another version of the story um lug sets baylor's head on a rock and a lake forms from the dripping pool of blood which is pretty metal oh yeah Just the head won't stop bleeding that's cool which is, a, yeah, that's a good location to set. Yeah. Oh, man, a river of blood coming from a single severed head. Yeah. Yeah. And there's another version where Baylor was said to have a glass through which he would look to destroy a person with his eye. He used the glass to burn and wither all of the plants in this place called Moitura, which prompted a hero to ask how he did this. Baylor, being duped by the trick of this hero, removed the glass from his eye long enough for the hero to put the eye out. And then the blood running from that eye created a lake called the Lake of the Eye, which is a, a, a real place near Ballandoon Abbey, which, of course, that's the, one of the things I love about Irish and English folklore is like this insane thing happens and it's near like a real place you can look up. Yeah. Yeah. Often like just sort of like down the road from like a like a like a very mundane sort of thing, like like it's like there's still streets where these yeah. insane, insane things happen. Like you can yeah. look up, Bal- like, and it's got a name like Ballandoon Abbey, and you look it up on Wikipedia, and, and it's just like a, uh, a, a sheep-devoured grass flatland <laughs> with like some rocks <laughs> sticking out. That's probably a building, and that's what Ireland looks like. Yeah. Um, there's also, on, on Tory Island, where all this was said to take place, there's a geological feature as a, a couple, actually. There's uh, Baylor's Fortress and Baylor's Tower, and a rock formation somewhere else called Great Tower, which might also be a part of the the other uh, Fomorian I was talking about that had uh, the thirty thousand versus the other thirty thousand because they had a, a tower by the sea, and that's where all the action took place. So there we get the most direct relation to D and D Fomorians.
So I think with with these, I think I don't know. I think it makes more sense to have not every Fomorian has this evil lie power because it seems like it's kind of more special if it's a, a named like warlord. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Or not. I mean, I'm trying to think of it. I'm trying to think of how an actual player group would go into it. Like whenever there's something to do with eye powers, you get into weird situations where where players want to cover their characters eyes with blindfolds but still like get around and then you have to kind of devise an improvised system of like okay i guess you can still do this but how difficult is it do you just make them like have disadvantage like do you make them not able to know where they're yeah it's 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 a similar thing that you get into because i guess you would just give them all the blinded condition right but you get into this weird thing it's like fighting invisible opponents it's like do you like have to guess what square they're on it sort of yeah. it kind of implies that you have to do that but you don't really do that like i don't know or do you just take advantage it sort of gives you both options yeah uh so it gets weird yeah and you get some players are like well i can just fight him i just won't look at his eyes and you're yeah, like totally. okay but how do you like you have to argue and like and and adjudicate this yeah um so if you make it more of a mythical thing i mean it's a good power like you don't want to lose the the power and if you don't have the eye then they're just literally stat wise they're just they're just giants so what makes them special besides their the setting and the the mood so they 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 might need something but yeah and like the if you if you're going to like have them all do it um i don't know it might be like a cool like sort of weird move to make it like okay you're fighting these giants and they're like I don't know they're they're sort of they're 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 not the same as other giants they're kind of they're shaped differently, and then at some point they start revealing that they all have giant eyeballs on their chests you know they they all look different except that they have this one specific thing and oh, yeah. you know that's where it comes from you could you could you could do something else with it but I do like the idea of it being um like the evil eye ability being special you know yeah because Baylor is like he's like a war chief yeah and especially if you want to play up the uh like you could have an ongoing fight still with like maybe like an elf kingdom the fomorians are still there trying to retake what they think is theirs but they're they're corrupt and they do one thing that they don't mention in in this is that i think the fomorians should be doing like surface raids i guess yeah i don't know they already like other other underground dwellers do that too but fomorians seem like they have the most reason to yeah totally yeah because they have such a grudge against the the people the, yeah. the fey people i don't know what you call the, the fey people uh like the Aladrins, like the like the um there's the different courts you know yeah. but i guess like the fey in general the fey works yeah yeah here's here's some other thought uh some people have interpreted Baylor as personifying the harmful aspects of the sun, such as the scorching sun that would bring crop failure and drought. And that uh, Lug's slaying of Baylor was originally a harvest myth associated with um, harvest festivals. Shit. <laughs> well, it would be it would be cool for like the lord of an underdark kingdom to have power that uh, reflects the harm that the sun can do in like a sunless empire i don't know yeah There's something that's cool there. yeah yeah because if you want them to be mirrored versions like i it's kind of fun to think of them as like the drow are already kind of inverted versions of of elves but i think they're actually just kind of like the decadence 
and haughtiness of elves taken to an extreme. Yeah, yeah. But if you have like a more kind of primordial mirror version of things, then you'd have like anti anti harvest, anti crops. So you like the sun, do you, surface dweller? (laughs) Yeah, there you you go. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, and they so they were they're in the underdark, but they're at war with the Fey. So they were cast out of the Fey Wild into the underdark, like in back in the D and D. Okay, yeah, yeah. You could also, I mean, like you can you can change all kinds of these things, but I, uh, I don't know. Like I'm sure, like the underdark, there's portals between uh the underdark and like all kinds of places but like there's they could also you could also just have them be that's who's underground in the Feywild. like you have all the you know the 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 jim henson puppet uh like i always imagine the Feywild looking like a dark crystal when they're yeah. going through the woods in dark crystal like everything's alive uh, there's like an abundance of w- weird magical life you like pick up a flower and it's like hey how's it going you're cursed now and you you know <laughs> that kind of come in and have tea with the missus yeah, <laughs> so you find like a uh, just like a fully like a banquet on a table in the middle of the woods, and you you know just you know not to eat it. All the kind of Feywild nonsense. But if you go underground, if you hang out in caves and dig underground, there is this society, this massive empire of mutant giants. You know, like it's stark contrast to the rest of the Feywild, and that then you have the sort of geography of it being like, yeah, on the surface, it's like all wacky and whimsical but like underneath it's like real dark and messed up you know yeah it's, it's just as whimsical but it's like uh it's it's explicitly dark it's not just like ambiguous like it can yeah. be sometimes yeah and also i don't know I, I just like the idea of like um being underground in the Feywild is like you are really far from home. Like this is a weird place now. Yeah. You know? Well, then you get into you, the thing about you have to give it a dumb name. Like there's the what was it the sh- the Shadow Dark. Oh yeah. Do you remember this? Oh. When they were when they were first coming up with like all of these explicitly different kind of zones to be in, like the Feywild. Oh, Shadowfell, right? The Shadowfell. The shadow, yeah. So they came up with the yeah. Shadowfell, which was like kind of a. a to me a kind of shaky idea to begin with it's just kind of like if i have it right it's kind of like a ghostly kind of purgatorial version of of reality of the material plane but then if you go into the underdark in the shadow fell it's called the shadow dark (laughs) (laughs) which then really exposes the the bloat of the the whole system so then you yeah. have, if we're doing this, then you have the Feywild, and then you have to go underground in the Feywild, and then you have to call that something stupid. Mm, yeah, the Underwild. The, the Shadow Wild. The Underwild. Yeah. But yeah, whatever you want to call it, as long as maybe if you don't draw attention to it, it could still work. What I liked about what you were saying is that it's the Fomorians really uh, set off when you put them up against what other Fey are like. I think you kind of need the, the contrast. You could maybe populate Fomorian territory with like uh, fey prisoners and and slaves and twisted, more twisted ideas of what you would typically think of like what would like a a pool full of nymphs look like in a Fomorian world or like a bunch of gross yeah. uh, giants like bathing probably or something you know like <laughs> yeah like what are uh, like Fomorian like sprites and yeah like little 
just doing really, really mean spirited versions of yeah. what your typical uh, like fairy deviant art scenes would look like. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can have uh, using using the history of the Irish invasions, you can have there's like all kinds of uh, like skirmishes you can get involved in uh, to take territory or land. Or then we also have uh, like captured children. There's lots of like oppressed people having to give up their children. And then you have specific fairy tale logic uh, where somebody becomes obsessed with the prophecy that they try to avoid. So they yeah, like capture their own daughter and their own grandchildren and you can intercept it one way or another. Like you could be, you could be uh, sent to go intercept the messenger of this Fomorian warlord and, and get the babies back. And then you have to like do something with the babies to achieve their, if they're going to kill their grandfather, you have to like help them do that somehow, or just like, yeah, put the spear in the baby's hand and then hold the baby's hand and use the spear and try to uh, force, try to force it. Yeah. I was thinking about the, uh, the evil eye aspect of it. Um, and, uh, let me, getting this right. Uh, do you know about the, um, Nazar? style of amulet and jewelry it's like a blue a bunch of like blue and white circles that look like an eye together right and okay. yeah yeah you see them uh they're uh there you will always like any non-chain jewelry store like any jewelry store that's owned by an independent jeweler they're gonna have these everywhere this is um, another weird area of expertise for you yeah, it is another weird one. And so we had them in the jewelry store I used to work at. And like in the movie, um, uh, oh, uh, Uncut Gems, they're all yeah. over his shop too. And that was one moment where it was like, they, they got this right. But the cool thing about them is it's, it is like all over the world where this exact piece of jewelry is uh, like has been used as a thing. Like the, it's the same word, Nazar, in Azerbaijani, Bengali, Hebrew, Hindi, Kurdish, Pashto, Persian. Punjabi, Turkish, and Urdu, uh, like N A Z A R, um, and so it's like all over the place, and like it's it's just it wards off, you know, evil spirits, evil energy. So that's why, yeah, it's a it's a pretty common thing. Oh, so I, thing. I don't know. yeah, okay, yeah, that thing. You see that thing yeah. everywhere. Once you know what it is, you you see it yeah. everywhere, and uh, so that's to ward off evil energy, right? And so I like to think yeah. people who would be subject on the surface to, uh, uh, you know, uh, raids from Formorians. Like, this would be, like, an important thing to have around to, like, protect you from the energy of their, like, weird eyeballs. You know? Like, it, it, you, could, you could totally have um, that kind of thing. I don't know. It was just hard for me not to... No, this is worth mentioning, for sure. There could be uh, quests involved in, in getting this or making this. You could be dealing with somebody like counterfeiting them. Oh man, counterfeit Nazars everywhere, and so the Fomorians can get in because they're not real. <laughs> yeah, like the Fomorians maybe like flood a market with a uh, fake, oh. fake Nazar. Yeah, you discover that they're they're not real. That would be fun. I like that a lot. Yeah. Or working in reverse and like amplifying the evil eye energy. Yeah. And they don't even like me. Yeah, maybe there's no the people wearing them don't uh, even are aware that there's any evil eye stuff going on, but they are secretly being infiltrated. Yeah, you can also have um, 
rather than the the evil eye giving this curse and like you get to save every hour and then it goes away you could have like you know a typical thing of like a monarch who's been affected by the curse and he's slowly deforming and turning grotesque but he he needs the curse reversed somehow so he sends the the pcs to go deal with it yeah yeah i also you know play with the idea of uh deformity causing evil eye to like not be reversible yeah like you don't want to like just totally mess up a a player's like character forever necessarily but depending on the game maybe not fifth edition but like i know older editions of D like wouldn't think twice yeah or like maybe i don't know you could have it be like a thing like no this is you once it gets used on you you gotta like use greater restoration to fix it like that's yeah yeah, you got to find somebody who can do that or like get power no- powerful enough to do that. You know, like there's a way out, but like, yeah, there's a way out, but you have to, uh, you have to work for it. Yeah. Or you have to pass the curse onto someone else. That's a good curse. I like a curse yeah. just not being removable easily. Like you have to, there's no undoing a curse. You can only like pass it on or dissipate it some through something yeah. else. Or like a, there has really to be some kind away. of equivalent exchange, you know? yeah yeah oh yeah and there's no <laughs> i don't know like curses are sort of like um like matter and energy like maybe there's a certain level of like curse that's in the universe and all you can really do is shuffle the curse around yeah so the trick is to find like an acceptable an uh, sorry an acceptable receptacle for the curse yeah or you could do the easy way and just give it to like the first farmer you see yeah oh man and maybe that's why one reason why whatever i don't know i'm imagining it being like a very powerful like fey like some kind of arch fey like an aladrin master wizard or 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 somebody who like levied the curse on the formorians maybe that was like we need uh to store all of this curse energy somewhere so like we we, let's let's these guys keep invading us let's let's curse them because we got to put all this curse somewhere Oh yeah, what if yeah, the Fomorians, what if they weren't actually inherently evil to begin with? Yeah. What if the curse made them evil? It's part of the curse. Yeah. You know? And like the yeah. the the elves or whoever, it says the elves in the in the Fomorian text. Remember when they were when the Fomorians were beautiful. Yeah. I keep thinking of them as the main enemy, but they don't have to yeah. be. Anyways, we're told maybe, the story that yeah. the Fomorians were cursed because so their outsides could match their insides, but really the elves just had a bunch of magical radioactive waste. <laughs> essentially they offloaded it and then spread the story that the formorians was like no 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 they're like that because no. uh they deserved it yeah they're they're yeah. rotten on the inside they got what they deserved yeah yeah but, we uh, just wrote a way more 2022 version and like that's i don't know i love i love that kind of um elf stuff where it's like yeah, they're like all noble and beautiful and a sec and everything, but like I kind of like it when like way in the ancient history, thousands of years ago, um, these like people that could live like nearly infinite, well, live extremely long lives and like had all of this power, like they got up to some like dark yeah. stuff. They used to be assholes. Yeah. <laughs> people can change, but yeah. They used to be assholes. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely the angle I would take. The Fomorians were originally fine. Elves are to blame, as usual. And now you have to figure out what to do with these curses. You have to pass them down the line. Yeah. Or store them in one of these these evil eye beads or something. Yeah. 
Got to launch it into space. Yeah, throw it down a hole. Yeah. Um, Fremorians in uh, previous edition, there's not much to talk about, I don't think. They showed up in Monster Manual 2 in uh, AD&D, and they came up, uh, they've been in every edition since, but until 4th edition, they were just underground giants, basically. They had some of the same rules. They couldn't throw rocks. Uh, they were deformed, and they had altered senses, but they didn't have any of the the backstory. They were just kind of underground dwellers. And then in 4th edition, they were given this society, this uh, depraved slave culture and then in fifth edition it kind of ties it back in with uh their conflict with um other other mythical creatures which i think is the is the best way to do it because you have other there are tons of other underground dwelling brutes there's lots of other slave taking uh malicious species but what we don't have is like this this kind of fateful curse that makes them actually especially if you use um the change we just came up with that little tweak makes them um more sympathetic and interesting yeah so we did it we solved this monster we did it yeah what's next (laughs) oh it's the uh the fungus people what are they called oh yeah um is it just fungus i don't have the book in front of me for uh, for some reason but i remember the page these are like the 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 fungoid people i'll look it up are you furiously something you're yeah, I'm scrolling, deep, scrolling down on my right app because because uh, uh, Carl's got my monster manual. It was also kind of funny that uh, the Baylor is the name of a demon. Yeah, <laughs> but it's got nothing to do with the rulers generals. Yeah, so they're just like, oh yeah, they're the the Balrog. Uh, they're the not Balrog. Yeah. Uh, wait, what is the next one? The Galeb Doer? Is that it? The what? Mike and it's the mushroom people, aren't they? Oh, there's something. I think it's just fungus. I'm getting there. I've got my my online version that makes a very loud sound every time I turn the page. <laughs> yeah, fungi. Gas spores, shriekers, and, and violet fungus. Yeah, coming uh, up next. Sweet. All right. Fungus. Just like the, the bottom of the barrel of every dungeon. Oh, man. The substrate of adventure itself. I don't know. Mushrooms are cool. I'm excited to talk about mushrooms. Mushrooms are cool. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm. I'm betting there. you've got <laughs> lots to say. I'm gonna come in, come in, in hot with mushroom yeah. facts next time on Monster Manual Mash. <laughs> say the thing. <laughs> uh, monsters out of here. Monster Manual Mash is Christopher Lawson and Wes Grist, edited by me, Chris Lawson. Find me on Twitter at Chris M. Lawson. Music by Wes, a.k.a. Elias. You can find more of his music on bandcamp.com slash Elias. That's numeral zero L-I-A-S. It's not a hacker thing, it's just what was available. Thanks to Sarah B. Milner for our logo. You can find her editing for Slash Film and on Twitter at Sarah B. Milner. Thanks to everyone listening. And to everyone talking monsters on the Monster Manual Mash Facebook group, Monsters to You.